VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill After, The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. Episode 4, No BS with the Bull, Manny Fernandez, right here on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. I, uh, I'm Bruce Ward. I just get to uh, to talk Manny through his journey in professional wrestling. How you doing, Manny? It's a holiday weekend that we're recording. Easter Sunday yeah, is upon I'm, us. I'm hoping everybody has a blessed Easter holiday and everybody takes care to be safe on this holiday and take care of their families. And I hope everybody has uh, Easter blessings. Yeah, me too. Uh, we've been dealing with um, some uh, a bug that's uh, floated around my house. Uh, my son got it first. You know, he's he just turned one, and my daughter got it, and then my wife and I are are feeling ill. So uh, everybody's waiting for their COVID tests. I'm I'm uh, hoping that that's not the case, but we'll we'll power through, and we'll power through. We'll give people at least a half hour today of of uh, the thoughts of Manny Fernandez. Well, I'm pretty sure everybody listening has got you and you and your family and their prayers and wishing you the best. And I'm pretty sure you'll be, you'll get through this, Bruce, you and your family. My little guy went through, uh, what, five days and he's, uh, he looks better today. So hopefully uh, by the time that we get together next Friday, I'm alive and well. <laughs> you know, we were talking before we got on the air and uh, we were talking about this week's topic and it's really about it's a continuation of last week's uh, respect for the business, but what you were talking about is um, not just respect, but commitment to the business. And I think that's a powerful word and something that's changed over time, right? People don't commit to the yeah. business coming up as much as they used to. Yeah. You know, it goes back to, you know, you got to respect the business and commit because of the people that came before you, the people that set this thing you know, on the platform that makes everybody a chance, gives everybody a chance to be who they are. You know, and the old timers, it's the thing that nobody talks about now, Bruce. They don't talk about those old timers that once upon a time, those were the guys that were top of the card, main eventers and semi-main eventers and all those guys. And they came up in years and they were still hanging on. And those guys were so valuable to this business because all their knowledge and all the knowledge that they would pass on to the guys that came in that they saw that would be the next generation of wrestlers to keep pro wrestling alive and keep it going. But there was guys in there that had charisma and had fire. And, and you know, they knew, these old timers knew that these kids could pass on the business to somebody else. So they would take those kids under the wing during this time. And see, people don't know all about that. They don't know about, you know, when, when I started back in the day, when I finally got my little push to start in Amarillo territory, there was guys in there that were top of the line underneath card wrestlers like Stan Lane, you know, I mean, I stand Larry Lane and uh, Alex Perez and, you know, uh, Kia Sato and guys that were there, been around the business and take a kid under their arm, Tank Patton would take a kid, a green kid under their arm and show them the ropes, educate them, educate them how to get them over what this business means, how to respect what they're doing on the ring, especially out of respect one another in the ring. 
taking care of one. Hey, they had a model. This is my body. I put it in your hands. You take care of it. This is your body. You put it in my hands, and I'll take care of it. And that's what I live by. That's what I always live by. It's what I train my people to do when I get them in the ring. It's safety first. Take care of one another. Make sure that you're there for the next day to make a living for your family. And that's, you know, that's what everybody forgot about the old time. Nobody talked about those old timers that groomed these young kids, the maids, the superstars, the Tito Santana's, the Ted DiBiase's, the world, the Manny Fernandez's, the world. All the guys that you know that came up in the 80s era, all these guys were groomed by some of these. You know, when I went to Florida, when I got that push to Florida, Oh, my God, I had the Raul Malas, Don Sorianos, Reggie Parks, the Bubba Douglas. Names that people don't talk about now because they did, you know, they never knew that generation. But I'll always remember those guys because if it wasn't for those guys, we'd be nowhere. Sure. It had to take those kind of people to make somebody in his business. you got to be made. Just like a mafia guy. He worked his way off the ranks and then he got made. Sure. I mean, you're screwed up, you blew his head off. But here, in our case, if you screwed up, you got stretched. Yeah. <laughs> you well, got stretched a little bit. Is it different when, when somebody gets into the business today? All right, well, talk talk to me about the difference between today. I mean, there's a lot of wrestling schools out there. Guys will go to wrestling school, they sign up, they pay their tuition, and then, um, you know, they have their normal job Monday through Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday they wrestle for uh, for the school and whatever that local promotion is, is that not the way it was back in the seventies? I mean, no, no, like I said, no. That all came down. To, there had some, like you know, later on in the eighties, but all that you know, back in the day in the seventies and stuff, you still had to know somebody, and they had to trust you to be in the business. You had to, you still had to be part of the business, family wise, blood wise, bloodlines into it. But I had to be pretty tough, like I said before. You had to be pretty tough. No, there wasn't wrestling schools all over the place. There was no school for me. There was the Amarillo Sports Center with Jerry and Nick Kozak and Edie Kozak, where they wrestled every Friday night when they were in town. That was the big sports arena in Amarillo. And that's where I had to go to train. But there was nobody no school for that. Nobody was nobody was there but me. And Stan Stamp, Dennis Stamp, and uh, Murdoch and Funk and, and Mulligan. Those are the guys that when they're in town that I had to get in the ring with. I had to train, but there was nobody else. I had no partner. I had to go in there when they went on around and take bumps by myself, run the ropes by myself, learn how to climb the ropes. You know, I had to shadow wrestle. You know, was, there was no such thing as schools. No, you know, today you got a school in every corner from every idiot that spent uh, uh, one minute, <laughs> spent a second in, in wrestling. And got a push for a second, or just was there for an overnight coffee, you know. All of a sudden, he opens up a school and he trains, and some of these guys coming out of there are playing garbage. They got no. See, the, the bad thing about what people can't understand is there's a psychology to this business, like anything else. There's a rhyme and a reason to do things the right way and the wrong way, you know, and, and nobody teaches that. These clowns don't know that. They don't know the psychology of the business, how to get the business and get. See, it's not about getting the people going out there and getting over with the people anymore because they just pack a house whether they sell it or not. They paper it so they can react to anything. You know, it's not like like back in the day. If the guys underneath you counted on you as a main event and they're pushing you, they counted you on you for their livelihood. 
for you to put food on their table. They busted their butts underneath you to make you who you are and get you over so you could put food on the table. Now everybody's under contract. You don't have to worry about that. Because I tell you right now, if they did, there'd be a whole lot of people starving. There wouldn't be a lot of people making money. Well, and it's not a... It's not a house business anymore, as much as it is a TV business. So, you know, yeah. guys, I think everybody trains for their part on the card. Maybe they and and you you tell me I'm 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 not part of the business. You know, I'm I'm lucky enough to have been this far away from the business for um, what ten or eleven years now. But you know, is is it is it different in the way that the guys just kind of train for what they want to do on the card and. Um, and then just shut up and, and WWE puts them in that position and, or AEW or whoever it is. And, and they just go, it is, is that, what's the difference? What's the main difference between now and, and then? Maybe to me, you know, because like I said, I don't keep up with it. I don't watch nothing. But to me from watching, when I do go to shows and when I do go and wrestle on these independent shows, when I come in and wrestle one of their young kids or top young kids, and they're all so worried about everything's done on paper. Everything's scripted. So everything, you know, I walk in dressing rooms and there are the guys that are going to go out and wrestle for 10 minutes and they sit next to each other and talk for two hours. I'm going like, oh my God, what in the hell? Yeah. You're going to wrestle for 10 minutes and you talk about it for two hours? You know, and, and the people, when they come up to me and, and you know, I, the respect they show, I thank you, Mr. Fernandez. But, you know, what are we going to do? I'll say, I'll tell you when I'm there. <laughs> I'm not going to say, I know what I'm going to do when I get in the ring. I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm dressed outside of get dressed. When I get in the ring, it's a different story. That's when my mind creeps in. That's when I start working. I look at the people and see what I react. What do they react? I watch the matches. See what, I watch the matches, see what the people react to. I still do that. See what the fans are still going to react to. I don't want to go out there and do what these other idiots should do and try to kill themselves and then get no reaction at all. I've seen guys go out there for 10 minutes and do everything in the book, every finish in the world, everything except shoot themselves in the head and the people are sitting on their hands. Yeah. Because they just, they go hundred miles an hour and you can't, there's no time to, to grasp of what they're doing. So what I see about the business today, if it's not scripted for them, they're lost. They're completely lost. And when so, they're doing their scoops out there and they're following that and something seems a, a mess fall up, and then they go brain dead. They don't know where to go from there. See, back in my era, the old timers would snatch you in a hole and keep you in a hole and work that hole. And if you try to uh, get ahead of yourself or do something stupid in the ring, they lock that hole down. They sugared you till you calm down. These guys just keep going doing stupider. The worst thing, the worst thing they do is they keep doing it, and it gets worse. And they keep going, and it just makes it worse and worse. They just go off script. I mean, it's. Wrestling today is so scripted that you know it's ridiculous. So when you not, when you worked a match, when when you were active, when you worked a match, you know I'm assuming you knew the finish. Maybe uh, did you work out a few high spots, or did you call everything besides the finish in the ring? We didn't even see each other. There was dressing room across the other side, hundred yards away, and mine was over here. So the finish came from the referee, and then we took care of business in the ring. Got we it. called it all out. Everything happened in the ring. That's but why you... I thank God. I thank God for those old 
timers that I've talked about that gave me that knowledge to carry on, okay? It gave me that knowledge to carry on because they knew how to carry a green kid. And they knew they knew your abilities already. They watched you work. They knew what you could do. And that's what they did. They kept you within your own realm of what they made you look good. They didn't go out there and try to make you look bad. They tried to make you look good. They tried to get you over. And that's what they did. I mean, they got you over. But so you knew who talk. was you knew who was going over before you got in the ring, right? Well, it wasn't. You knew the finish. Yeah. You knew the finish. You knew the finish. Okay. The referee brought you the finish from the booker. The booker gave the referee the finish. The referee walk over and give you the finish. And then you go in the ring and, and do your job. You basically did your job, you know. And it's just, you know, I'm pretty sure there's been there's a couple occasions I got pretty pissed off someone in the ring and later on in my career when I had a voice. Before that, in my for my first four years in the business, I just shut up and listened. Sure. That's all I did. Because the talent around me was unbelievable. You know, once I, I got to the level where they put a belt on me, even though I really didn't care for that. We put a belt on me. They fed me some of the greatest talent in the world, some of the greatest heels you can think of. You know, I'm talking about Harley Race and Dory Funk Jr., Jerry Funk, Don Morocco, Ernie Ladd, you know, Bugsy McGraw, Bad Bad Leader. I'm talking about talent. It got over and sold out arenas. I mean, I'm talking about people that can work their butts off without having to sit there and be scripted and told what to do and told how to cut a promo. You know, this, this business today, you know, it's just, I can't even watch it. That's why I, I didn't even watch it in my era, but I knew there was great wrestlers and great talent because I was surrounded by it. That's what I tell everybody. I was very fortunate. If I couldn't have been a top wrestler or, or great at my craft, then I was a piece of garbage because how could I go wrong with all that talent around me that got in the ring and educated me? You can't. But you don't have that today. You don't have that today. You get in the ring and you watch two guys wrestle and they try to outdo each other. <laughs> Nobody tries to get each other over. Everyone tries to outdo each other. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, we were talking about, I was, uh, I do the Bill Apter, Ken Resnick podcast, Wrestling with History, uh, which drops on Wednesdays here on VOC Nation. We were talking about Bobby Heenan and his unique skill of when he would do a promo, he wasn't he wasn't necessarily trying to get himself over. He would get himself over naturally, but he would get his per, his uh, protege over and his opponent over in the same, yeah. all at the same time. And and that's an yeah. art. Yeah, that was Bobby Heenan's class. And, you know, it, it, bringing up Bobby Heenan, you know, another great thing about this business once upon a time was people that ribbed, the, it was, the guys were so close, they ribbed each other all the time. Some of the greatest ribs in the world, Bobby Heenan was a great river. Terry Paul, Harley Race used to do some weird uh, ribs. I mean, it used to be so much fun, even when I wasn't in the business, when I was still a junior in college and would drive around watching these guys rib each other. I used to die laughing. Some of the things that these guys pulled off on each other was so funny. I mean, that's, that kind of stuff is gone because everybody's worried about, oh, I got to get over. I got this guy's over here. Am I going to fire? I do that. I mean, they're so worried about, you know, Vince telling them good luck in your future endeavors. Future endeavors. But, you, know, these, you know, some of these guys don't have much future endeavors. They get up there for a couple of years and they fall out of grace with Vince and they're gone and all of a sudden they're legends. 
That's another thing I can't stand. Everybody's a legend. They ain't done shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then and then uh there's some head scratchers in the Hall of Fame too. Um oh god. Yeah, that's not Hall of Fame, dude. <laughs> I just I just you know, they just do they call it whatever, they can throw the ring off. Every time I show the ring off, I show my West Texas State Conference Championship ring, which is bigger, it looks like Super Bowl ring. And that, that's legit. That's legitly earned, you know. I legit, legit. <laughs> I might make me my my college junior college Hall of Fame ring, so I can show that off. No, I won't. I'm kidding. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side. Well, I'm going to talk to Manny about uh, his time at Jim Crockett Promotions. Back here, wrestling with hit or uh, sorry, <laughs> my brain's not here. No BS with the bull, Manny Fernandez, <laughs> on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. Bill Apter has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill Apter's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect is? Well, I'll is? tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found... Well, what's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think... Uh, I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Uh, Bruno was an LA champion. You know? Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Anter, and once again, we're speaking here with... Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a did loss. Did not have anything to do Well, yes, but the whole thing is this, if the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. All right, back here, wrestler, or, um, no BS with the bull, Manny Fernandez. I, uh, I can't get it right today. I, I'm hoping... Um, Hoping to, to stay away from the worst news for this uh, this illness that we're all battling here in the household. But I'm here with Manny Fernandez, uh, the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, and uh, we're recording a day later, so we apologize. It's all my fault. Uh, the day after Good Friday, 2021, we're talking about commitment to the business and, uh, you know, just people living the business, being able to call matches in the ring. And Manny, before the break, we talked a lot about you know all of that stuff in a general sense i want to ask you if it was different when you got up to uh, to jcp in the mid 80s was uh was it a little bit more refined there or could you still kind of do your thing as you you saw fit with your partner in the ring well i was reunited with dusty you know me and dusty had uh, real close in florida 
really close in Florida. You know, I was just his, you know, sidekick and everything like that. We grew close, and he uh, he was godfather one of my son. You know, and uh, he called me up in San Antonio and told me to give my notice to come down. And you know, everything was the first time I've been in the south. <laughs> first time I've been in the south in North Carolina. I heard a lot about it. You know, KKK and all that stuff. Right. Murdoch, Murdoch would tease me about that, you know, he would tease me about that, but, you know, I said, okay, well, I'll keep my guard up, but no, you know, I got there, and, and it was, it's the same, you know, Dusty was the same old Dusty, and, and we had things, but, uh, you know, they had great talent around there, they had Steamboat, and, and Jay Youngblood was there when I got there, and they were just bringing, Dusty just took over the book, and they were just changing out talent, you know, and then, Barry was Barry Wyndham was coming in with me, and that was great because we were in Florida together, and I hadn't seen him since uh, I left there. But uh, you know, everything was Dusty. Dusty had the greatest mind in the business for, for for finishes and programs and angles. I mean, Dusty was a genius when it came to this business. His mind was his mind. When I would sit down with him, he would feed me all this knowledge about finishes. When we drive together down the road, that's another thing I miss. The road trips with the guys were unbelievable. And those were so cool. And everywhere I started back then, you know, but the business was still where we drove to all the towns and the boys were in the car together. And Jesse and me would ride before Magnum came down. We would ride down together and into towns together. And he would tell me all this knowledge. That's why I got all the knowledge that in my future of booking territories. That's why I got the knowledge because Dusty's ideas were un incredible, so incredible. He's the one that that fathered uh, because of the Great American Bash. That's how uh, WrestleMania was developed, you know. Right. Copy Dusty, but uh, his finishes are unbelievable. You know, it's it's. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I got got to <laughs> North Carolina. You know, I first flew into North Carolina and Sandy Scott. Sandy Scott, one of the old timers, great old timer back in the day in the Carolinas, picks me up at the airport and he's taking me to Asheville, North Carolina, or for TV. And uh, no, I'm sorry, Shelby, North Carolina, do TV so they can introduce me coming in, right? And we, we're going down there to town now. That's about Dustin doing it, doing Dustin doing great. I said, oh, great. I get to see him again after a couple of years away from him. And I've always respected Dusty and loved him, you know, for what he did. We sometimes had a love-hate relationship, but we always got along really great. So we're going down the highway, I-74, and I see this thing, and it says, Fish Camp. A big sign says, Fish Camp. You know, I'd never been in South. And I looked at Sandy Scott, and I go, dude, are you serious? Do people have to go to camps and learn how to fish? <laughs> he goes, No. It's a restaurant. I go, oh, I never heard of a restaurant called Fish Camp. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I go, I thought the people were backward in the South, but I didn't think they were that backward. <laughs> now, now, you said Dusty Dusty used to have the the best finishes. Would Dusty... Would Dusty generally come up with the finishes for all of the matches? How did the booking system work? Because, you know, everybody today is familiar with writers and how the WWE process works. So how did it work back then? Who's coming up? The booker's coming up with the finishes. He's handing it to the referee. And um, was he was he laying out any other part of the match? How did it work? No. 
No, here, here, Dusty always had good, good people around him. He had good people around him. In Florida, he had the assistant booker was Jerry Briscoe, right? So they get together in their minds and stuff. And Jerry was another great. Jerry Briscoe was another guy with great finishes and stuff. Great mind for the business, Jerry. And, you know, Jack Briscoe was laid back. He was too laid back. But Jerry was another one, you know, was a great mind. And, and when, when Dusty had, didn't have Jerry because he stayed in Florida, he got J.J. Dillon. And J.J. Dillon was his assistant booker. So those, those two together would work. And then they get you know, Tommy Young down there or Earl Hebner, whoever was there, the referee at the time. And uh, they'd bring him in and sit down with him. And there's, they gave him the whole finish to the referee. They gave him the whole thing. And the referee had to convey that to the wrestlers exactly the way it was told to him. And then we took that finish in our minds and went out and put on a short, you know, put, this, put it together in our heads and went out and told the story. You got to tell a story. The greatest the greatest line I ever heard in this professional wrestling business was fine with Eddie Graham in Florida when he was drunk and nobody wanted to fly with him because he always was drunk. But he could fly no matter what. There was no lines in the sky. You could, <laughs> I don't know if he's flying. This is not. But he said, to be somebody in the rhythmic, in this business, when you enter that ring, you got to be able to paint a picture, kid, and tell a story. You got to put the story on the canvas, and that's how you get it over. That's some of the see. Those are some of the things that was passed on to me that I'll always remember. And I try to teach my kids: you got to paint a picture to tell a story, and that's not done anymore. They just get these script writers and they write it down like they're in Hollywood, and that's you know they don't know if that's going to work with the crowd. You have to take what somebody left you. The match before you left the crowd with something and you have to take it and make it better. They don't want to see the same crap again. Yeah. What, was was everybody in the same spot, Manny? Would it, was everybody expected to be able to do that or did they not trust some people like they trusted others? Like if, if you had somebody that wasn't very gifted at calling his own match, would they would they lay things out a little bit more? No, well, see, the kid they're here. Here, back in the day, the heels called the match. The right. heels called the match. The baby face just shut up. He fought back. He never died. He fought back. He never laid down to die. You fight back, and the heel will stop you and say, okay, calm down. Fight back, kid. Fight back. Boom, boom, boom. The it's heel called the a match. comeback, right? Yeah. The Eating heel would call the match until it was right for you to get over. But he never let you die. A good heel, like the ones we had in Carolina and Florida and in San Antonio and Kansas City territories, no good heel would let a baby, a good baby face die. You never let your baby face die. I would never let Ricky Morton die. I would beat Ricky Morton up so bad, boom, boom, but I always gave him a little out. Fight back a little bit, kid. Boom, here I come, move, move, and die, move and die, and boom, boom, I get him again. You know, we always gave him that little life. A good heel carried his baby face to get him over. And, you know, that's the baby face to shut up and follow the heel. Because you had great heels back in the day. I couldn't say that today. Back in the day, there were some great heels. Well, I mean, you had heel territories, I guess, was some. Um, you had Ric Flair as the champion down in, uh, in the Crockett areas, and Harley Race was a, a great heel champion. So it wasn't always the baby face going over. No, no. That's the great thing about the business back then, you know? 
the the finishes that Dusty had when you beat a baby face made the baby face stronger. It didn't make him weak. You didn't care if you got beat because it made you stronger. Right. You didn't die because it made you stronger. You know? You know, it just that's the way it was. The finishes were not unless you were on TV and squash somebody, okay, you squash. When you went out in the arena and there was a hot finish, they called it hot finish for a reason. It was hot because that baby face is going to get over getting beat and he's going to come back stronger. What do you think about this idea of 50-50 booking today where yeah, everybody's kind of booked to be uh, vanilla? Everybody comes back to the middle at some point. You win, <laughs> you win some, you lose some. <laughs> well, honestly, that's I don't, I don't know what to say about that. You got to... You got to have psychology. This business was built on psychology, great psychology. It's like watching Lou Thans and Ed Stranger and Lewis going on hour, how they worked that one hole in that psychology. They put people in there, made them believe he's ripping that arm off and everything. And, you know, you got that's the kind of stuff that people will believe if you right. do it right. It's 50 because, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, let me go back to if you beat a guy every night. And every night he seems just by the skin of his teeth. It's like Don Morocco told me one time. You get over, you beat the baby face when he slips on a banana peel. When he slips on a banana peel, oops, he slips on a banana peel. One, two, three, oh. You beat him by the skin of your teeth. And that's what the people remember. That's what they remember. You know, that's what is important to the people. It's how you get the baby face over. Or how you beat the heel. You could be dead, dead in the last second. You're dying. You're almost dead. Want to kick out and burn kick out, burn kick out. He goes into some big, small package. One, two, three, boom. Oh, the crowd goes nuts. But that heel pops up and he's on his feet. Running. What the hell happened? That heel's stronger. You didn't beat the heel. You lucked out. You lucked well, out by the skin of your teeth. Is the difference, is the difference today more in the way that the product is made for TV. I mean, I, I, I think what, what I see, right, and I'm an outsider, what I see is back in this, you know, the 80s and before that, the product was made for the live crowd. Everything was done for the live crowd. You wanted the rematch to be hot for the live crowd. You wanted people in one city to maybe tell somebody in another city um, that, that this feud is going there. I mean, everything was done there. Now it's all weekly episodic television. So things happen fast. Feuds happen fast. Payoffs happen fast. And it's all done to try to pop a rating, right? I mean, it's a very different way of doing business. Yeah, it's, it's, I'll tell you what, and I'll say this to anybody. Vince McMahon is a marketing genius and he doesn't care if the stuff gets over. He doesn't because he's marketing everything and making money off all those commercials because he's got great sponsors in the commercials. He markets all the stuff, all the products, all the t-shirts, all the dolls, all the games. He's making a killing with that marketing. He doesn't matter if these guys get over or not. As long as it's on TV it's gonna, and, and people are seeing it and buying his product. And that's basically where he gets. Because some of these guys, you know, I look at and I'll tell you what, they couldn't draw slides if they were a piece of dookie. <laughs> Tell you, the truth. you know, and, and you know, like I sometimes laugh at these guys. I go to conventions 
And some of these guys that spend a minute in WWE a couple of years and they say, well, these guys ain't getting over and they release them, you know, give them that uh, good luck with your futures and difference. And they get into these conventions and they blow out their chests and they act like they're big stars. And all of a sudden somebody's like, the legends of WWE, da, 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 da. And I'm going like, wow. The only legends I know in my life are buried in Arlington Cemetery. And that's why we're free to watch these idiots think that they're, they're legends. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> Amen. that's my belief. You know, that's my belief. And I stand by that. It was the day I died. Amen. And uh, and we thank you for your service, by the way. Um, oh, yeah, I had a rough day at the, rough day at the VA yesterday. <laughs> that's I know. That's why I figured I'd I'd uh, I'd make you feel a little bit better by um, you know remembering that uh, there's a lot of people that are very appreciative for the sacrifices that you made. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Amen. sometimes it's hard. Manny, when you when you trained, right, you you committed to the business and and you lived the business. And you said, I remember whether it was last week or the week before, you said guys like Terry Funk, you know, they almost traveled in communes. You know, they had um, it was like a carnival. Um, they uh, they traveled with with uh, RVs and things like that, and they set up shop in tent communities, and they they fed each other to make sure they could all eat and live and you know it was a lifestyle you know you committed to the business and you said uh it's certainly not like that today because you have people that go to wrestling school on the weekends and have a normal job during the week um tell me about your journey in the business did you live the business or did you ever have to work another job while you were training to to get to the big time i was still playing ball remember i was a junior in college when all this happened and I was still playing ball. I went, I didn't commit to the business till after I got released from the taxi squad at Kansas city playing pro ball. And I was on the, I was a job. I was on the taxi squad. Got it. And then, you know, when I first, when I first committed to the business, when I first went down the road, when I got released and stuff, I was pretty, you know, tore up. Of course, you know, I didn't expect really a six foot, 260 pounds to be in the seventies. They were monsters, you know, they were monsters playing football back in the 70s and sure. 60s and 70s. Big, big, big men. Not little uh, tutus, not like they play with tutus today, but like <laughs> wrestling, you know. Uh, and I didn't commit that to one day I was on the road with Murdoch. We we're going down to Odessa, Texas for him to wrestle. It was him and Harley Race for the world title. And we were talking about that coming back. And he said, so what do you think, kid? What are you going to do? I know what I was going to do. I really didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I had a degree in criminal justice, but I knew I couldn't do, you know, be a cop. I'd end up shooting somebody just for the hell of it, I guess. I don't know. Oh, I, I knew it was going to be, be be hard for me to do, but I really didn't know. Diggy and me were talking, and, and I said, well, you think I could be good at it? And he says, well, if you commit yourself to it. And I said, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to be the best there is to do it. That's all I can tell you. If I'm going to do it, I want to be the best at it. He says, well, let's get started. And that's, you know, that's where it went from there. But, you know, I was committed to it. Once once I got in the ring with Dennis Stamp and them, and when he was around all the time, Dennis, I started learning how to take bumps and everything. Then I became, as much as I was committed to playing football, I was committed to being a pro wrestler then. Then I took it into my life, and then I understood that once I took this, 
gift that it was a gift for life and I had to protect it. I had to give my all to it all the time. Defend it at all costs. Like I would defend my country at all costs, you know. But that's, you know, and to this day, I think I think about Murdoch when I go down Amarillo, me and Terry talk about it and I go by the, the, the cemetery and stuff. It was a gift he gave me, you know. Sure. And, yeah, I don't know. I'm getting <laughs> it kind of close to the heart there. Yeah, yeah, get, getting getting uh, emotional. Well, listen, I think it's a good a good part of the the journey to stop right there. And I think next week I'd like to go into your your journey through the territories. You know, let's talk about your first real stop, real home after you trained in Texas, and and kind of take people through that, and then we'll we'll kind of work through your uh your career a little bit and see where we get to how's that sounds good sounds good it's remember good. talk about 25 dollars a night wrestling oh <laughs> earning paying your dues paying your dues baby <laughs> paying your dues and being committed uh so come back to school with manny fernandez no bs right here uh with the bull on the voc nation wrestling network want to thank everybody who tunes in every week want to thank everybody for their support if you like subscribe whatever to this podcast remember you can get it commercial free by going to uh, premium.vocnation.com but uh we appreciate however you listen uh as long as you listen and and that's it for this week i'm gonna rest my head and try to knock this uh this cold out i'm uh I'm not not doing great, but for uh, the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, I'm the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt. Manny, send us out with a nice uh, heartfelt uh, Easter uh, greeting. God bless all of you. Take care, and please enjoy your Easter and stay safe. All right. Thank, thank you, everybody, and uh, have a good holiday. See you next week. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend, the raging bull, Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation.